Hey, welcome everybody. Here we are at the Guitar Cast. Today our guest, Mr. Sean Kinane. How are you? How are you, Sean? Good. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. It's good to have you here. So, I think the first time I, that I uh, met you might have been at a trip gig. I think so. I was playing with my band. You were playing with yours. I don't think so. I think the first time I met you, you were doing a loop thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And I was getting down. I forget what you were doing, but uh, I was yeah. definitely getting down whatever you were doing. Yeah, I was... It was a dead, I was, uh, tune or a fish tune or something. Yeah, I mean, I, one of my biggest influences, I think, uh, over the years was Keller Williams. So I was doing like a, a, a looper show with different instruments and stuff like that. And a lot of the material was fish and dead and, uh, you know, just funny, random stuff yeah. as well. <laughs> uh, but uh, so... Tell me about um, what you're up to nowadays. What's your what's your thing today? Well, uh, I have a couple cool shows coming up. Um, one's with uh, Jerry's Middle Finger at uh, Faye, Faye Dodo, which is not super far away uh-huh. from here. Um, and I'm kind of starting to try to uh, branch out to do a lot more of my own original material. And, uh, and so I'm doing. I'm using a quartet, which is my preferred uh, preferred way to have a band. And then, um, and then I'm have I have a show the following night on the the seventh of October uh, down at the PCH Club, opening for Groove Session and Strawberry Moon. And I'm doing that as a uh, solo performance. So I'm trying to just incorporate a lot more of my own original material and. Um, um, bring more of my influences into my own performance. Um, whereas I think uh, the past couple of years I've been really hitting the hitting the the jam band thing really hard. Yeah. So and the Americana thing real hard. So kind of. So is that is that your background, uh, or what would you say is your background? Um, that's kind of interesting. Um, I would. That's really tough. Because uh, growing up, I, I was really lucky. Uh, my mom hit me to all these like cool music. I, I always say to my girlfriend, I think I got really lucky that my mom it introduced me to cool stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and so I like a lot of singer-songwriters, and I like a lot of folk artists, um, and I, a lot of, I like a lot of rock bands and jam bands. And then I actually ended up going to school for jazz, so that kind of, I went into that neighborhood for several years, fusion and, yeah. and, and jazz, and that changed my influences greatly. And um, it's a great foundation though, to like learn any instrument is to like go oh, to yeah. like the sort of, it's like the the most uh, involved, you know, like harmonic. You know, use your brain the most yeah. in something like jazz. I feel like it's like the show the Chopin of of yeah, modern exactly, music. Yeah, exactly. It's like as far as you can push twelve notes and harmonize it. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's funny when I moved back to when I moved out to LA, I ended up um, working with a lot of singer songwriters, and I went from playing like more instrumental music to playing songs and I started to really appreciate the song again and that led me to go back to everybody all over again yeah you know from Simon and Garfunkel Paul Simon to Dylan to all of a sudden I got real into the dead again and got to yeah go through that whole thing yeah that's that's cool that you mentioned that uh just about the song and if there needs to be a song there first and then you can jam on it and then you can you know change it up and add some stuff to it but i think it's 
very important to really have a song there first. Um, where did you, so before LA, where were you kind of based or where are you from? I'm, I'm originally from Philadelphia. Um, okay. and then I, uh, I spent a little time in Maryland and ended up back in, in, in Philadelphia area. Um, what's the scene like in Philly? Um, it's different. It's definitely different. I think, um, it's funny. I have a, uh, I have a good uh, a good friend. He's in a band called Infinian, and they're uh, they're very sharp. And uh, their guitar player's name is uh, Matt Hollenberg, and uh, um, he had an accident, and he had one of like uh, Dweezil Zappa's guys sitting in for them. So he's like very technical. Um, they play things in different meters and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it's interesting. We, I, I talk about this a lot about um, drummers. I, I noticed that like the. Um, What's the the guy from the Roots? Questlove. Questlove. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I would re- I feel like I'd rather play with Questlove than any other drummer ever oh, because yeah. his pocket is so <laughs> yeah. deep and um and it's not flashy. It's it's just pocket. It's, it's just real it's depth. simple groove. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I I definitely feel like that um uh, about a lot of Philly players um and then also like growing up in Philly, I remember listening to like the oldies station and all the soul music all the time, and yeah. I just figured that's what people listen to <laughs> yeah well there's there's a, like what we were saying about having a, the song being like the heart of of the uh, attraction um, that era of so- of of music was completely around the song, yeah, and you have you have these artists uh you know, especially in radio too, you have to have a song, but it feels like it's it's pretty important and kind of crucial to have, you know, have your have your song there, and then you get outside of that. I think a lot of people try and go straight for the sort of jammy, like we just want to be cool and groovy and stuff, but they there's no song there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or or just the like. Like flashiness of like so many notes and, right. and 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 then you like turn around and listen to like I don't know there's a there's a singer songwriter I like from San Francisco his name's uh, Sean Hayes and um, he I, I well he's great in my opinion but uh, you know as an instrumentalist he's not gonna do much of anything you know it's yeah. a couple chords right. but it's not about that it's about like uh you know the lyrics and the song and, and 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 him using his voice as an instrument as well um one of my favorite artists is uh, is paul simon i feel like he's like a really great example of um the development of that sure because like everything he does is a, is starts out with a, a, a good song a good song foundation but then yeah. he has well, what's the rhythmic idea going to be? Yeah. And, uh, and, and he's got a lot of cool modulations and like, uh, stuff that goes outside of the just sort of, um, one, four, five aspect. Definitely. You know? Yeah. He, but it sounds, it doesn't, it doesn't hit the ear like this wacky modulation. Oh stuff. yeah. You it's don't very, even, it sounds very like straightforward and simple. Agreed. Yeah. He does that with like time stuff too. You don't even yeah. realize it's out of time. Right. It's not in a, you know, standard time. Um, just, just bringing that up. It was really cool. I don't know if you had a chance. Um, but, uh, I got to go to the Skirball oh, yeah. for the little exhibit they had. And, um, it was really cool. Um, just talking about songwriting and so forth. It was cool because you got to see his actual 
handwriting and notes writing down lyrics what kind of what kind of notes did he make well sometimes sometimes you could tell he had it down and he was just like copying it onto a page how he won it in stanzas but other times you got to see him scratch stuff out and stuff like that yeah. um and that was really cool because i mean this he's one of the best in my opinion and yeah, uh, and he also uh, it was cool to see one of the cooler things i got to see too was his, he wrote a set list like in the 90s and and it showed his depth he was like um, you know, this is from the '60s. This is '70s, '80s, '90s, and he was incorporating like everything. Wow! All these things. He from made his... those notes on the. Yeah, yeah, wow. on his own set list. That's so pretty cool. It was really cool. Um, and, and and especially for for someone like myself who's idolizing him, so it was really cool. Yeah, very cool. And he, the cool thing about Paul Simon, I think, is that uh, he incorporated a lot of uh, international music in his music. And had a lot of world beats and and kind of world harmony and the stuff that's not what you think of when you think of Western American songbook type stuff. Definitely, you know, he's a lot of people put him in that category. But uh, if you listen to his music, there's a lot going on there. That's yeah. You, you can tell he was going out and searching and finding what was appealing about. Uh, music from different continents, definitely, you know? especially rhythmically. Yeah, um, and um, it's interesting. Him, um, he caught a lot of flack about um, Graceland, you know, because uh, there was a South African boycott. And he, oh yeah, right, because um, of apartheid and so forth. Right. And, and he ended up working with South African musicians, so he caught a hand. He caught some flack about that. And uh, but what's interesting is if you look at his history. Long prior to that, he was already searching things out. Like, if you listen to, like, right after he stopped Simon and Garfunkel, he has, like, Mother and Child Reunion, has all this reggae influence, and then he has, like, uh, me and Julio down the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. And he was already going in that direction, looking for, yeah. like, rhythmic diversity. It's kind of a West for... African drum beat kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. So, uh, so, so you're in Philly. What are you? What are you playing? Or are are you in a band at that point? Are you studying with a teacher? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, in Philadelphia, I, um, I well, once I started going to school, um, I went to school at Temple University, um, okay. which is in North Philly. It was a really cool experience, and um, uh, my teacher, his name was Tom Jacobetti. Um, he passed away recently, and. Uh, he uh, he was a really good teacher. My teacher prior to that was John Sheridan, and he uh, he really kind of uh, set me on my path to to, to play music. Uh, he gave me a lot of confidence. But um, um, when I was in Philly, I was really focusing on the real book. Sure, you know, I was just kind of like going through and trying to get. I know what that routine is like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, getting tunes down, um, which is really funny because if you were like, "Yeah, let's play some real book tunes now," I'd be like, "Oh, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember any of the heads. If you break it out, we could read a couple." But no, but it's a great foundation, you know. If you're learning, I had a teacher one time say, "If you learn a, a tune out of the real book every day for yeah. one year, yeah, you will know." Every song in the real book, and you'll just be that much better of a of a player, and be able to sit in and, and be like, you know, kind of hang with whatever's going on. Yeah, because it's all over the place, and it's these are standards, a lot of them, but it also ups your reading chops and your your form chops. You know, a lot of players at a beginner's level don't understand the the idea of form. Yeah, and how. You know, uh, the the chords 
fall in certain places and you you should at least if you're not playing the melody at least be playing or thinking about the harmony and the melody that's happening within the band and that's how a band sounds tight and sounds together yeah you know what i mean definitely i i think i think that whole error for me i mean i feel like i would it'd be better if i did it now like if i go back oh, yeah. and go to school now it'd be great oh I would yeah get so I much think more about out that of all it. the time <laughs> but um it really helped me hear relationships so then i was like in the car listening to the oldie station and i'm like oh that's one six one six four right. five that's one six bass two, is doing something yeah. and then the vocalist is doing something on top of that and it, it creates a and you hit it on the head too the thing that i really learned from that was like play the melody oh yeah because I wanted to start out playing like, oh, let me just play all these chords Licks. and arpeggios and notes yeah. and notes and notes. And it was really just like, well, what does the melody say? Play that first. And it's funny, you know, um, just swinging right over into like the dead. That's something that from Garcia, I think he does phenomenally. Yeah. He always touches the melody Absolutely. first, you know, which is yeah. cool. I think there's something about like Garcia and in, in his era of players, you know, because Garcia, we, we put him up on this pedestal and he I, I i'm a huge jerry fan i love jerry but his era were all musicians that were all learning kind of the same the same way to approach music yeah which is kind of what we were talking about like you have this form you have these chords yes but can you go outside of those lines and then can you stay inside of those lines and sort of meld those two things together and come up with uh, uh appealing you know uh your your own take on a song you're gonna put the melody in there but you're also gonna gonna go outside of that a little bit yeah you know and, and as long as you are leading the listener I, th- I feel like it's sort of like you're you have the song and then you have the audience and you're sort of leading the audience through the song with your solo you're not trying to just go so crazy that you fall off of the form and fall off of where the melody in the, in the song is, but you can put that stuff in there. And even the, the your, your audience members who don't know anything about music are still going to be able to hear that in their, in their mind, you know, yeah, they're still going to be able to sort of, um, hear where the song is and, and maybe you go up an octave and you play the exact same thing, right. but it's up an octave and now it's different. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's funny. Um, you know, I, I I can't cite an example, but there's definitely um, definitely like errors of listening to him play because that's like like Garcia is like one of the definite fields of study for me. I sure. spent like I spent countless hours listening to The Dead on archive or whatever, and like you pick your you pick your favorite error, or even even better yet, we get a tune and be like, I'm going to listen to this tune and I'm going to years apart. Yeah. Yeah. Or or like even like, um, listening to the same tune, like throughout that year. Uh huh. And that's what, um, or with the Jerry band or with the different group, you know? Right. Right. Well, you'll hear him actually like pretty much tackle the solo a very similar way. Yeah. And really like search for like, what he was trying to say right there. And then you'll listen to it like in eighties and you'll hear him like have remnants of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with more development, I actually think he was, um, um, some people would disagree with me. Purist. I don't know, but, uh, I think he was really sharp in the eighties when he was like half falling over and then he oh, would yeah. like, he would kind of like come back to life and have these brilliant ideas. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, but his, I felt like his chops were like more developed at sure. that point. 
Then, well, um, yeah. The, well, yeah. There's. I think there's a difference between like a lot of players have this sort of early raw period where they're just trying stuff. And, yeah. And you hear it; it sounds really cool a lot of the time. But then they that person is an individual, and they they develop their sound and they develop their their chops, and it it evolves, but it's still the same player playing definitely that stuff so yeah. so it's cool that you that you hear that in in his playing and you know in anybody's playing really i think I think every player evolves and uses the same stuff that they've had. But also adds a new thing to it. Um, it's interesting. So, like, you know, we were talking about songwriters and then jam band music. And, um, you know, the the other thing, the other major influence is jazz and, and the little more music like that. So the guy that I got really into in school, um, partially probably because of my teacher, but... Um, Definitely because of like the the colors he made was uh, Matheny. Oh yeah, and that's like um, sometimes people will just bash you for that too. <laughs> Dude, listen, you want to know something? Here, check this out. So my my parents are jazz fans. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they ha- always have been. Uh, they subscribe to the Jazz Times magazine since as long as I can remember. They went. To, they they still go to jazz festivals all over the world. They're jazz fans. Okay? Yeah. The first concert I ever went to ever yeah. was Pat Metheny. <laughs> I was like six or seven years old and went to Jazz in the Park in Kansas City, Missouri to see Pat Metheny. And I was I was paying attention. I was listening. I was, I was like noticing what's going on. And afterwards, my parents said, so what'd you think? Uh, we were in the car on the way back. What'd you, how did you like it? What'd you think? I said... Yeah, it sounds a lot like the CD you always play in the car. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <what> I didn't know at that point, but 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 that was the first like getting into music. That was the first kind of uh, bit, like sound that I heard was that that his tone and and just kind of wacky so uh, scales and stuff like that. It's it's definitely not. Uh, doesn't has, fall into one category. It's such a voice. Yeah, exactly. Very yeah. unique voice. And that's yeah. what I was thinking as a six-year-old kid. Yeah. Oh, it just sounds like the CD, Mom. You know. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but that was the very first concert I ever went to. Pat Metheny. Yeah. I mean, like like that's the thing about like I I feel like all the guys we're mentioning like they just really like are like this is what I sound like. This is what I go for. Yeah. And um, and that's super cool. After you like, I mean, do you think that do you think that Pat didn't listen to Wes? Oh, for, exactly. You know, I mean, or or, or whatever, you know, sure. or Charlie Christian or whoever. Um, but yeah, I like Pat because he like he's really he's really rather psychedelic, yeah. <laughs> you know. And um, I liked it. And this this will get me even more bashed if anybody from Philly that I, <laughs> listens to this is like I liked my Pat, I like Pat Metheny group. Um, I don't agree with I don't necessarily like a lot of his sound choices that get like really synthy eighty business, but I love the forms and melodies and I do like the synth stuff. But I went and saw him play at this place called the Tower Theater in Philadelphia, which is like one of my favorite venues I've ever been to and um it's sonically like blissful and um I was like a gaper, like like my mouth was hung open the yeah. whole show. I could not believe what they did, and um, 
it was uh it was masterful and uh i was like you know i was i was into the dead at the time too i remember and i was like wow that was like one of the one of the best the best shows you know what uh something else that'll get me bashed um for my my personal tastes in music you might dig but uh um steely dan sure and i would bring it up because walter becker walter becker just died and um Another 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 band that I heard in the house because my parents were playing <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing at dinner and stuff like that yep. all the time. My, me too. My grandmother growing up was always playing Steely Dan, and and I gave him. I think my first CD it, it was like like a greatest hits CD, and um, um, I remember putting it on and not liking all of it. Like the first thing was like Hey Nineteen, and I was like. I don't like this. This sounds like old people music yeah. or whatever, you know, that kind of vibe. <laughs> Until you realize it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, so, you know, and that it's not, it's not for everybody. It's an acquired taste. And, uh, I think everything that we're, um, everything that we're talking about right here are all acquired tastes. Sure. Um, but that just means it's exceptional. Possibly. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's just, it be, the, the the alternative to an acquired taste is like radio pop, which is not an acquired taste. Anybody can sort of get right, into that, and it's right. like, well, that that devalues it a little bit, in my opinion. Well, you know what? Um, it's like if so, I just offered myself up for bashing, and um, <laughs> so if I uh, if I was going to turn the tables and bash somebody, I would bash Keith Richards because uh, he he went down on a record saying. That Garcia is the most boring guitar player he's ever listened to, or something like that. And and um, <laughs> I think yeah, that's did what, he really say that? Yeah, he said that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I you know what? I should if I was going to be if we're talking, you know, on, on your on your podcast, I should have looked that up. <laughs> I should have looked it up and, and been able to quote exactly where it was from. I'm sure it was in a magazine, but um, uh, yeah. But Richards doesn't like Garcia, and he said he was boring. And um, I think Richards is like the most boring. Right, right. I mean, I love the Rolling Stones. I do too. Love, love the guitar playing on there. But he's not even the one that does half of that guitar playing, isn't it? Ron Wood or or, or Brian Jones or and like, you know, it's it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't hit the part of your brain that goes, "Oh, what is that? What's going on there?" It's kind of. It hits that part of your brain that does say. Oh, that's nice. I like that. It's easy. Yeah, I can, I can, I can comprehend that. Uh, but it doesn't really pique my interest so much. Uh, but whereas guitar uh, Garcia is playing, Garcia is like playing some pretty really interesting stuff. Yeah, that takes some brain power. It takes some thought. Well, yeah, you know. And I think. I think. I think it's. It's. There's probably something numeric to it too, you know, just like, just like the use of arpeggios or different intervals yeah. or, oh, yeah. or, or or shifting up the octave or, or right. whatever, or different voicings. Whereas I, we're probably and the Stones is a more simplistic thing. And it's funny. I, the word I wanted to use was guttural. It gives you like this like this really baseline sense. And um, yeah, I and there's like so that's the thing. It's like the Stones are kind of like like uh, um, petty, right? So you'll think. Oh yeah, I don't know if I really like that. And then you'll go, well, wait a minute. I can name like twenty five songs right now that have like phenomenal hooks. Right. So that kind of brings you back to like songwriter stuff. The Stones are more like like they have they have some good songs, you know. Oh, of course, they have great songs. Yeah. And, and and like like a hook, like you said, like oh that riff, that guitar riff belongs to that song, and that it, the tone of it, and the, the actual notes, and all that. 
that is a signature of a song. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they they might have appealed to me more in um, in their earlier um, tunes, like like um, under my thumb or. Um, Ru- what is it? Ruby Tuesday. Goodbye, Ruby yeah. Tuesday. Or what's the one? Um, she's got colors everywhere in her hair. She combs her hair. She's like a rainbow. Yeah, I think it's you know, she's a rainbow. She's a rainbow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that's a great song. Like I love that. You know. Yeah. Um. That's, so, but um, I, I guess I just wanted to bash Keith Richards because he bashed because <laughs> he bashed Garcia a little bit. So. He can take it. <laughs> yeah. He can take it. He can handle anything. All incarnations of him. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So so when did you uh relocate? When did you come out here? Um I believe May two thousand six. Okay. Yeah. And um the reason why I, I brought up May is because I I s I've uh I, see, I seem to move in May sometimes. That's a, that's been a, a reoccurring thing. Hey, I moved to LA in May 2008. Oh, right on. So <laughs> I think it's I think it's a seasonal. Could thing, be. You know. I think I finished college and was was over yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I was um, before I moved out here. I actually um, did some extensive traveling um, by car through the national park system in the yeah. west, and yeah. um, and being from the northeast. And having that be my foundation in life, I was like kind of um, exasperated by what happened when I crossed the uh, continental divide. I said, "This is I can't believe it's out here." Yeah, you know. Oh, same here. I thought it was on Mars when the first time I went through, <laughs> like uh, you know, New Mexico or right, uh, you know, Utah, Southern Utah. Right. Uh, yeah, because I I similarly ha- have not. Before I lived in, um, I was born in Vermont, and then moved as a as an infant to Kansas City, Kansas. And then from there, uh, when I was about ten years old, I moved to Virginia. Then went to college in Boston. So I had lived my entire life on the eastern half of the country. Yeah. And when I moved out to LA, it was the first time ever that I had driven and been in that western sort of. Uh, expanse like it's just this huge area of of nature only yeah there's not cities for like 12 hours in any direction you know and uh, i had the same same thought like man this is like new territory in a real way yeah yeah absolutely um and uh just like i mean even even california as 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 ridiculously populated as it as it is it's all in pockets sure you can just walk away you right. can drive out into the An desert hour, yeah and you're in the middle of nowhere yeah and so i was just i was just like kind of um really drawn to california um because of one the weather two the ge- ge- geological diversity being yeah. able to be in the mountains or the ocean or the desert or um and uh and it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity i i i actually was aiming to um live in the bay and then um it kind of was like uh had a cousin in la and came down and visited and met a guitar player and played a show and i was like it seems like there's a lot more music happening in la than than the bay it's very different i know what you mean because i had the same experience basically but it is you know the up up north and down south very different just like on the east coast yeah you know wildly different um 
but on the the difference is on the west coast you have the population is you know up on the up north San Francisco it's really even not even that north so it's like dead center it's like halfway yeah yeah but population wise it's like that and then there's nothing yeah until you get to like you know uh northern Los Angeles County pretty much uh, you have you have San Luis and right. Santa Barbara, and that's pretty exactly. much it. Yeah. Exactly, uh, and there's you know there's like you go further east, you have like Bakersfield, and you have the Central Valley and stuff. But it's still not there's not cities, and there's not much of a music scene. There's a lot of bluegrass up there, I'll tell you that much. But yeah, uh, but it's not the same as like opportunities to get gigs and to play and to have crowds and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I've been I've spent a lot of time in the Bay Area and I like I really love it up there. Yeah. But I don't. For me, as an my my background being in engineering as well as playing, I found a lot of work in a lot of contacts and stuff like that down here. A lot of studio work, a lot of uh, a lot of projects of all kinds. I agree. You know, there's films being made and there's. Um, industry it's just yeah it's, entertainment industry right, is here, right. so you know? i think a lot of people end up here because of that right or more computer people are ending up up in the bay right i have a lot of friends in um in uh north in mendocino county and uh that is like a total gem yeah like once you like start to get like a couple hours north it's just a complete gem sure and um it's funny because i feel really similar um i remember i used to work with this woman um jilly moon um which is actually <clears throat> One of the reasons how I moved out here is I used to teach for um, National Music Workshop for this uh, this uh, part of their company called Day Jams, which was basically like the the very beginnings of School of Rock, like Paul Green's School of Rock kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, I used to do it in Philly, and so I got a gig and was able to come out here and. Uh, I thought that would help me get set up. And so she was one of my supervisors or bosses when I moved out here and I ended up playing with her. Long story short, she, she was kind of situated. She's an Australian artist. And um, she took me for like a little a little mini tour and we ended up shooting up towards uh, Santa Cruz. But uh, she had a friend in um, near – we used to do this little gig in Morrow Bay on this boat. Um, it was like a dinner cruise. And uh, it was really cool. And she has a friend right around Morro Bay there in this town called Cayocas. And um, he, his name is Brad, and he, uh, he ran an abalone farm. <laughs> now, me, I didn't even know what abalone was. I, oh, I, the only reason I would know what that is is because of the guitar part. The shit, right, exactly, <laughs> right. So it's, like, so, it's like a, so it's a mollusk. And, yeah. uh, and uh, it's really beautiful. And we, obviously, we use it for the shell to put on our guitars and jewelry and stuff. But, Eggs um, and stuff. Like, uh, yeah, like all your inlays. Right, right. right. But, um, but uh, he was running this farm, and they were, like, piping in water. It's, it's, a, it's, it's allowed by the government because we almost fished abalone into ext- extinction. Mm-hmm. Um, but so uh, I remember being at this guy's farm, and um, he's like, yeah, yeah, we should take a walk. I have 20 miles of coastline. <laughs> <laughs> like, what in the world? And uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, we have a private beach here. And, da, 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 da. and oh, I was yeah. like, yeah. And I said, wow. I said, I said, this is like untapped. Totally. Like the the cent- central California is pretty untapped. And uh, so that would be uh, for me. I, I really, I really love California. I beat, I beat myself up back and forth about being able to actually afford to live here. 
Like, yeah. You know, like how will we own houses in California? Exactly. Like, you know? That's that's the that's always the sort of uh, you know balance part of it is how, you know how do you spend as much time as possible in these areas that are just gorgeous and they're uninhabited and but you have to make a living right. and you're not going to be playing you know five shows in a month in a place like that right you know or getting side gigs and stuff like that right there's a i remember i mean there is a lot of bluegrass uh scene up there and it's it's very different from like the the sort of rock environment that exists in LA and in a lot of cities there are festivals and there are um, concert series and stuff like that that people go to and they, they support them. But it's very limited in the material. This is the Bay Area? Uh, yeah, but like north of there and, oh, right, and right, Central right. Valley and stuff like that. It's it's kind of limited and you have to sort of have a certain sound and a certain thing going on to uh, even to just not even make like break even up there, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's, but the the cool thing is, is that we can get up there from LA if something comes up. Absolutely, it's a, it's a day trip, you know. Totally. And um, and it, it, I I I sometimes think like LA is too far away from every every other place because if you're in the East Coast or even in the Midwest, you're, you're like three four hours from the next biggest little market, you know, it's college towns and cities and stuff. L.A., you kind of have to drive through the desert for about four or five hours before you get yeah. to the next place. For sure. Which is kind of a bummer in a lot of ways. But but then, you know, that's why people get stuck down here. And that's why there's kind of like a pocket <laughs> totally. of, of work down here. And that's that it is what it is, you and, know. And then we were just talking. And, 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 and as you're talking, I said, sure, for sure and totally. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. which I probably would have punched, yeah, yeah. I probably would have punched myself in the face. <laughs> yeah. That's times. how you know you've been here for ten years. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of like the uh, obviously the uh, the really funny uh, the, um, Californians skit on SNL. Oh yeah, it's so yeah. true. It's just, just obscenely true. That's so. where that that's where that came from. You know, it's like. <laughs> Well, how did you get there? Well, you took the five and you went. <laughs> oh, today? Yeah, I took the two to the ten to the, yeah. Yeah, that's a real thing. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's do uh, let's do a song here. Okay. Why can, don't we do? Can you um? Okay, so I'm gonna play bass on this one. Um, this is your original. Yeah. And what's the name of this one? Where does the time go? Where does the time go? Two, three, Falling through the cracks 
So, what was your influence on uh, on that? On doing that one. 
That's interesting. I don't really know if I've ever thought about that. I have this like I have this really weird thing. I keep, I write a lot of songs about time, and yeah. then I have really bad time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, I don't know. That one was uh, kind of like a. You know, it's really fucked up, but um, and this will throw this will get me mucho bashing. I think that John Mayer might have influenced that. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> hey, John Mayer's cool now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has a tune called Gravity, and uh-huh. I think I might, yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. might, I think I might have little, little, uh, you know, stole, groove. stolen yeah. a little vibe off of him with yeah, Gravity. Similar groove. Yeah, I used to be buddies with this guy Tim Fagan. I guess we're still buddies. I just haven't seen him in a long time, and he, um, he won this like contest before years ago when I first moved to LA, where he got to like co-write a tune with Mayer. Huh. And he got his guitar as the prize, but I think Mayer wrote the lyrics, and then the the contest was to set music to it or so forth. Yeah, and he won that, and so he was kind of my introduction to John Mayer. And um, it's funny, long before the Dead happened, long before the Dead and Company thing happened, I would always say in the pop world, I would always say, "Hey, you know what? We're really lucky to have John Mayer because at least he can." One, sing a song. Two, write a song. And three, he can play the guitar. And that's very uh, seldom do you get that in the pop world. I agree 100%, man. He gets way too much shit from people, uh, you know, who aren't attacking him on musical basis at all. Yeah. But he's a good guitar player and a good songwriter. Yeah, he's like, a good singer. Get over it, people. Yeah, he's good. It's I mean, fine. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, so so like so he dated Katy Perry, so he gets yeah, like. Who cares? Well, he, well, we're allowed to bash him for that. Sure, I think. of course. But but like you know, <laughs> his personal life and it that has nothing to do with his music. Yeah, you yeah. got the guy is a good player, okay, and a good writer. Like you just leave him alone. All right. <laughs> I'm for him. I, I, I've I've spent money to see him play now. Absolutely, you know? yeah. and uh, and it's funny. Uh, my girlfriend actually went with um, uh, a friend of ours. You know Keith Erickson, right? Sure. I know yeah, Keith he went with well. he, uh, my gal went with Keith's gal to see John Mayer, and I was like, oh god, here we go. Right. We're gonna come back with John Mayer crushes and so forth. But um, uh, she said it was great. But you know what was interesting was, um, and this is kind of like another LAism. She's like, I felt awkward because I wanted to dance. And nobody wanted to get up and dance. Everybody yeah. was like, I was like made to feel awkward. And yeah, I mean, you know, it, and, and I think, I think in the moment, it's it, we we all have that sort of reaction to John Mayer. Uh, it's like we don't really know what exactly we're supposed to think about this guy, and like he's he's in he's in People <laughs> magazine, like no, you know, right? But twenty, fifty, hundred years from now. I think everybody's going to look back and say, yeah, this guy knew, knew what he was doing on the guitar. Right. And has the career to prove it. And, like, you know. Yeah. He's, well, if, if he wasn't. Okay. Imagine John Mayer's, like, weighs, like, 500 pounds. And he's, and he's like, this disgusting, gross dude. Everybody would love his playing. Everybody would be so <laughs> into him. Right. You know what I mean? I've never thought about that angle. Like, like just change that one thing, you know. Well, we we uh, we we go. Actually, this is this is more comedy hour. But um, so my biggest thing with John Mayer is um, is Katy Perry. Yeah. Well, all right. Just because. All right. So, and I don't want to get myself in trouble at all here, because <laughs> so I'm going to stay, you know, nice. But the thing of it is, is so um, he didn't like just hang out with her for like two weeks. 
I think that went on for quite some yeah. time. And so that leads me to think, well, what's going on in his head if she's like spraying whipped cream out of her business? Right, and, right, right. I mean, I'm just saying, and she has like these like really weak, weak song, kind of like, kind of the antithesis of what he was aiming to do in the pop arena. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but you know, are you going to. Okay, did, did anybody ever go back and criticize, say, Jerry Wait. Garcia on his, like, second girlfriend? You know what I mean? Or, like, or, come or, on. Or, um, or here's a good one, or Greg Allman. Greg, yeah, come on. I mean, shit. <laughs> If, if we're gonna hold these standards to people, right? No, I, it was just, it was just a good bashing moment. I have, sure. I have nothing. And it's real. easy to do. It's, it's easy to do, and it's fun, and all that. But you know, at the same time, it's like you know, if we're gonna talk about the guy's musical abilities, he's awesome. He's right up there with the best. Yeah, yeah. he's good. Uh, he can he can die. he's very good at learning um, styles. Absolutely. Oh my god, you know. So I, I know John personally because I worked at the village where he has a room, and he he was coming in and out of there and uh, doing vocals and laying down guitar tracks and stuff like that. He's a really nice guy. I'm you know, sure he's a really personable, nice dude. Uh, he he got caught up in the you know uh, whatever you pop, want to call it, the LA, the, the paparazzi kind of <laughs> machine that happens. Uh, but it's only because he had good songs to write, and it's only because those songs found their way onto the radio and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, end of the day, you know what would really be awesome? If he was bashing me. It, well, exactly. <laughs> it's like, who, who are we? Yeah. Who, who are we to sit around and bash this guy? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so next time, whenever we catch whenever we catch John Mayer bashing Andy Keithley or Sean Kinney, yeah. then, we, then, then, we can, then, then we can go ahead then full I'll, force. Then I'll have a conversation with him, but... <laughs> No, it's like it's like in uh, in the in the show Mad Men. There's a scene where one of the like uh, you know lower level sort of uh, up and coming guys comes up to Don Draper, the the man, and he says, "You know, I think you're really making a big mistake here." And he turns to him and he goes, "That's funny. I don't think about you at all." <laughs> it's like that's, there you go. That's the point, right there. That's, it's per- like, that's look, perfect. I, I'm, until you're like on a, na- a global <laughs> stage playing your music for billions of people, you can't really say too much. No, that's true about this guy. I'm sorry, John. If John, if you ever listen, John, to, John hope, if you ever listen to this, buddy. Uh, but you know, he's all he's trying to do is, is is get out there and play his music. You know, and you know what? And then and let me let me just let me reverse and be a human for a second, and say that he had a similar experience that we probably did. Where absolutely, where the dead blew his face off. Oh yeah, and then he like had to go deep into studying, and that. he got and, into it. And yeah, that, and and you know, and good on him. You know, yep. hey, you found the Grateful Dead. Awesome. Yeah, good job. You, you did a deep dive into the Jerry world. Good job. Great. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things. It's like uh, in the fish world, right? Uh, fish is... Uh, so Fish's light guy, Chris Carota, has been doing lights for them since the 80s. He is the top light man He's in, awesome. in the business. Yeah. And he started doing Justin Bieber's tour. It's like you couldn't write a more polar opposite. Yeah, totally. Thing. And so, and and Dan Cantor, who's Bieber's uh, music director and has been his longtime friend, and and he's, you know, anytime you see Bieber and a guitar player on stage, that's Dan Cantor. He's a big time fish guy. And there's these two part, these two like worlds that sort of pop up around that sort of thing happening. One is the oh my god. 
Justin Bieber is now attending fish shows. <laughs> right. Has a dog named Esther. He's playing Divided Sky and an Instagram video. This is terrible. Or the other side that goes, we've converted the the most toughest person we can right, right. think of no, yeah. to convert. You know? yeah, we so got, it's like, where's the balance? we got to take it as a win and give it's them a, win. a little bit it's of credit. A win. Right, it's right. definitely a big time <laughs> win. You know? uh, so, but it's, it's fun to talk about. You know, it's, it's like... You know, just just bringing up. Uh, so it's funny. So like that tune, and, and the reason why John Mayer popped up is because like that tune is like a, it has it could jam out the back end, but it's really more of like a, a poppy sure. style tune. It's like it has a form, just right. boom, you know. Right. Um, and um, and then you brought up light shows, and just to because we got back into like you know okay, this is about you and guitar and and music, and it's like you know who I think the and. I don't know if you'll go with me on this one, but I think is probably the best band of my era of life is Radiohead. And I love Radiohead. They have I've the seen Radiohead most a number of times. Epic light show you can even imagine. Yeah, I never liked them. I always okay. I would have been if we had done this. It took me a while to get into them. But Ten years ago, I'd have been bashing them. Sure. And um, I need to stop the bashing business. But um, well, what I was doing, what I was doing with Radiohead was I was. And this is years ago because I, I did find Radiohead eventually and grew to love them. But I was making the mistake. I was doing what I hated other people for doing to me and my Fish Grateful Dead crowd, which was bashing the fans. Right. Talking about the band. Yeah. And they had nothing to say about the band. They just wanted to bash the fans. People go to a, a hippie show and they want to bash the fans. They go, the band sucked because look at the fans. Yeah, I was doing that to radio, and I was going, "Man, look at you know all these. And they don't know anything about me." Look, they don't. <laughs> I, I was making the same exact mistake yeah. that I was, uh, you know, a victim of essentially. And you know, I've seen Radiohead a number of times. They put on such a great show, phenomenal, and they just are so good at what they do. They're great musicians too, fantastic and great, cool, like interesting, creative writing. <laughs> So and super original. The sounds that they're coming up with. But you know where they got me was I never liked them. And then, and it's funny that I said 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I would have not liked them. Yeah. In Rainbows happened yeah. in 2008. And I just got chills from it because it's still cool. one of my favorite records. I just thought it was a blissful, beautiful, yeah. like it's an album. Yeah. The songs relate. It takes you for a ride. And, um, and you know what happened? With them, I think the reason why we may not have liked them before is like the whininess or the the down down thing. And this thing had uplifting. The, the In Rainbows had an uplifting universal yeah. theme, and um, I, I I still one of my favorites. I, I and I have many friends that I can't convert, and I say, listen to In Rainbows. And they say, nah, I can't get past this voice or whatever. You know, well, they're one of the only bands that can actually do the studio thing and make an amazing record, and then go out on stage and. Make that same <laughs> material come alive, right? It'd and be it like, doesn't sound any different in, in a good way. I was so impressed that they could do that. Yeah, I mean, so the drum sounds that they're coming up with, which are clearly computer generated, like you know, a lot of the a lot of the snares and stuff like that are, are just. But they're doing it on stage, and a lot of Johnny Greenwood's guitar stuff. Yeah, very heavily, um, you know, effect driven, and he does it all live. Yeah. You know, so I I have a Perfect. lot of respect for those Perfectly. guys. Yeah, do you I know have a he? Lot of was, for did you know he was the? Um, he did the sound, 
for that movie with Daniel Day-Lewis, There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Yes. Really, really like eerie string. It's cool. Tension and like just like half step stuff that's yeah. just like really creepy. And, yep. Uh, yeah. I love it. I <laughs> that's love cool. It. Yeah. Greenwood is a, he's a, he's a, as accomplished of a, you know, music director and, uh, he he has a lot of work on BBC Radio and stuff. He's done a lot of stuff outside of Radiohead that's like really incredible uh, from a just a from a music director point of view or from a uh, almost a DJ kind of thing. Like he knows what he's doing. You know, those guys are uh, committed, yeah, and they play with conviction. I agree. You know, and and I think they they had a, a big radio hit in the '90s, and they ran away from it. They hated it. They don't play it anymore. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I think those guys kind of, you know, not like they needed to redeem themselves, but they see it for what it is. They saw the commercialism in music, and they sort of ran the other direction. I think that's fantastic. And you know, they're 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 another they're they're one of the instances where, okay, music's changing. Technology is changing music. Technology, has. yeah, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it's changing at such a rapid rate. Now it's easy to get eked off at these DJs who are selling out a stadium, and they're like literally like you know playing around on a computer, pushing a button. Yeah, yeah. and here you are, and you really delved into studying an instrument sure. and developing yourself, and this, and nobody cares what you can do because <laughs> we can just sample a guitar and then click it here right. and here and put it in place. Yeah. Um, and Radiohead's like really the band that was like, oh, we'll do both. Exactly, we'll do both right. seamlessly. Right. There's a, there's a time, and I think they probably still do this if they even play. I don't know what they've been doing in the last year or so, but they have, they will have a radio on stage, and and they'll, you know, I think it's John Greenwood. He'll he'll be spinning the dial of an FM radio that's going through the system, and it's just hitting different, <laughs> and it's all part of the live show. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. That's like live sampling, just to get weird noises and stuff, and that's part of the thing. It's like. They're they're completely uh, you know uh, getting rid of that fence between the studied learned musician camp and the like forward pushing uh, techno- technological uh, sampling kind of thing and they just that's that's really uh, commendable and, and pretty cool yeah you know um you know you just you just made me think of something because of the radio bit um which is probably with the exception of the band and Dylan, um, the only person I've left out that out of people that have like really, really influenced me is uh, David Byrne. Oh yeah, he's one of my favorites. I cannot get enough of him. I think and there's a whole generation that was directly influenced by the Talking Heads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And well, and I remember when we first started talking about this, like my mom was really cool. Love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was really cool about. Um, Showing me music, and she would always say, "Okay, because like I was a kid when uh, speaking in tongues was out, right?" Yeah. And uh, this sounds so different. She goes, "He's so weird. He's just cool. He's the coolest because yeah. he doesn't care what anybody thinks. He just does his own thing. He's so weird, you know." And um, I really like this record. Um, I believe it's from the early two thousands. It's called "Grown Backwards." And uh, um, he touches on many different uh, things. He does some string arrangements and horn arrangements. And he even sings a classical piece in Latin and stuff. But um, 
he's really thoughtful with his words and he's really open to, um, again, like Paul Simon really beating the hell yeah, out of a rhythm. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'm going to take this, tear this rhythm apart here. You know? Yeah. A lot of those like peak talking head songs, uh, musically are really just like a baseline and a groove on repeat. Yeah. There's not a lot of arrangement going on in these songs other mm-hmm. than like something is added and then yeah, like taken layer, away. Layering, right. Yeah. Right. But there's layers, but the grooves are, a lot of those songs are just like a simple groove. Totally. You know, with like this sort of poetry on top of it, which is cool. You know, I think uh, the as far as modern band that is probably by now even like not even modern anymore. No, we're old. LCD Sound System. <laughs> LCD Sound System does that sort of like Extended groove with lyric lyric content on top, uh, which is uh, to me directly Talking Heads. I mean, that, that just sounds like a modern Talking Heads. And again, they're already like at the end of their career, right? LCD, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, th- 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 there's a lot to that. And I think um, we are lucky enough to be uh, living and learning in an age where you have we have all this stuff to pull from because a lot of those guys were just making it up. Like there was nothing. Before the Talking Heads, that sounded like the Talking Heads. No. You know what I mean? No, absolutely.
Thanks for being here, man. Thank you for having me. It's so fun. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Okay. <laughs>